Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Thank you for tuning into the program. And all these people came and said, did anything we do, just let us know. And, and the next morning she heard clang, clang, bang, clang, clang. I thought, oh, right. must be the birds or something. Then she heard bang, clang, 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 scrape, scrape, bang, clang, clang, clang. And she looked out her window and there was this guy with a ladder up against her gutter cleaning out her gutter. Is a balanced life something you aspire to? Is it something you consider worthy of pursuing? And if so, how do we even begin to achieve it? Dr. Corbett is in a 10-part series titled Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life. This week is number seven, and tonight his topic, when you get in a vein being vain, you're a pain. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear your voice. Open our hearts, open our eyes. Holy Spirit, come and gently overshadow each one of us. Give me words that come from heaven and that land in every heart here now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at our summer series and this is 10 Proven Life Principles. And the, the, the recap of what we've looked at so far includes these thoughts. Have you ever met someone who seems to get all the breaks? Just, dang, man, you get all the breaks. Have you ever met someone who seemed to have certain reserves? They seemed to have emotional, financial, spiritual, physical, social reserves just to cope, just to be able to get through stuff that most people find overwhelming in life's challenges. Maybe you've met someone like that. I'm probably suggesting you have met many, but maybe you have met some. Have you ever met someone who, despite how much they've got on their plate, they've always, they always seem to have time for others? Oh, in this one in particular, oh, in the last, actually all of them, I think of, there is someone I do think of, and it's my uncle, my uncle Max. And my uncle Max was just one of the most amazing men I ever knew, and he died of um, skin cancer way too young. But he seemed to epitomise this for me, and he knew Christ. Well, if you have met someone like this, chances are you've met someone who was living what we're going to call a balanced life, a life where they've got things figured out, and the picture that we've given is, is of the potter's wheel where if you're in the middle of the wheel, even though everything is spinning out of control around you, or so it seems, if you're in the middle, you've got balance. And if you're in the middle of that wheel and the potter's hands are on you, you're in the best place you can be on that wheel. And that's a balanced life. And these people seem to enjoy peace in the midst of life's storms. And that, to me, is real peace. And the whole concept of peace being some quiet place out in the country or whatever is, I reckon, a fantasy. Peace isn't so much what's happening on the outside. Peace is what's happening on the inside. And I think of Tiger Woods when, sort of when he was at his peak or, or coming to his peak, when his dad was alive, who was obviously a huge influence on his life. And his dad knew that in the pressure of professional golf, Tiger would need to do more than most because he was a black person who not only had to overcome what every golf has to overcome as far as skill and battling the weather and the elements and courses and other competitors, but he had to battle 
being black in a, in a largely a white man's sport. And so his dad would, as Tiger was about to tee off, would yell these racial slurs at his son. And, and, and he would get distracted and he'd say, well, what are you doing, Dad? That's terrible. He said, son, that's what they're going to say to you in the gallery. I'm, I'm this is what's going to happen. And so Tiger had to learn to switch off and have it come from inside rather than be dependent on the outside. And that's, that's finding balance. Of course, when after his dad died, coincidentally, the wheels fell off pretty big for Tiger. But that's another story. These people have probably, almost certainly, built their life. If you've met people like this, they've built their life on these 10 proven principles. Here's a recap of them. Number one, they live with integrity. That is, they embrace the truth. They, they can accept the truth. They welcome the truth. When someone says, do you mind if I say something to you that you might not want to hear? Their response is, sure. Uh, they may add the proviso, but please be gentle. But they embrace the truth. Secondly, they are thankful and display gratitude. Generally, they are thankful. They don't look at what they haven't got. They're thankful for what they do have. They are thankful. Thirdly, they worship well. How do they worship well? They worship well by worshipping the only one who is really worthy of worship. And that's not them. And if you want to worship well you recognise that despite you not getting what you want, or let me flip that, I, if I was to be a, someone who worshipped well, I would worship well despite me not getting my way. Notice the pronouns. Things aren't going my way and it's your fault. <laughs> now we've mixed up the pronouns. But that's how some people treat their Christianity. But someone who is a worshipper, they are like Abraham going up the mountain with their son carrying the bundle of sticks. And Isaac says, Dad, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, we've got the flint, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's thinking, how do I tell him? <laughs> and a worshipper is someone who's prepared to go up to the top of the mountain and lay down the very thing they want, trusting that God is more important. And Abraham did that, and what a, what a powerful reminder in scripture that is of what it is to worship number four they pursue holiness and we've mentioned that holiness is one of those words that people think it means shaving your head wearing orange living on the top of a mountain going om which is you know that's what they think holiness is holiness the word holiness actually means good it means goodness good so when we talk about being holy we're talking about being good but we're not talking about kind of being good like jared is good we're talking good like alex is good we're talking really good <laughs> <laughs> we're talking impeccable good. And when we say God is holy, we're saying he, he is so good. He, there is no one as good as him. He is incomparable. His holiness makes him impeccably good. His holiness, holiness means he's pure. He's good. He's reliable. He would never do harm. In fact, God never harms because he's holy. He's holy. And whenever people distort that picture of God, should grieve us. But holiness is being morally pure. It's being kind. It's being considerate. It's being loving and it's being this word. And note it, it always has a lower case G, godly. Godly just means living right. Don't even necessarily have to be religious to be godly, but it means living right. So that's the number four. They pursue 
holiness. Number five, they respect the rights of others. The rights of others to earn a living, the rights of others to own property, the rights of others to have space. They respect those people. They, they respect the rights of others. And number six, they are open to correction. Not only are they open to correction, but people who've discovered life in the middle of the wheel, having the potter's hands, as it says in Jeremiah 18, mould and shape and fashion them. So what you once were, you will not be. What you will be, you are not yet. Because the potter is moulding you, shaping you, fashioning you. And as that requires correction, it requires adjustment. And people who are living and have learned to live in the middle of the potter's wheel and live a balanced life, are people who are open to correction, but not just open to it. They honour those who care enough to give it. If you can see what you hear as criticism, if you can hear it as a gift or see it as a gift, it will revolutionise your life. Criticism is a gift, and only those people who really care give it. So here we are now, episode number seven. This is the seventh instalment. And it's this. When, you're, when you get in a vein, being vain, you're a pain. You might just want to look at the person beside you and give a confirming nod. So here's my opening question that I want you to think about. And it's not disconnected. I will hopefully show you the connection between that title and this. How do we communicate with each other? How do we communicate with each other? I'm guessing that for most of us, we're going to instantly answer, well, with the words we use. And I would say, yeah, we do. And how well do we, how well do we use words to communicate with each other? Out of ten, generally. As a society, two, one. You can see the problem we've got. <laughs> I say something, you hear it completely differently. You say something, I hear it differently. How many wives have ever been offended by what their husbands have said? And husbands are never offensive. <laughs> Moving right along, <laughs> we communicate... With our presence or absence, why is it important to be at a funeral? I mean, after all, they're not going to know. <laughs> but why is it important? What does it, what does it say? What, what does it communicate when we turn up at a funeral? Someone tell me. Love, respect, care, support. It so your presence or your absence communicates. What else? communicates. Your facial expressions. So Eloise is telling me something and I'm going <laughs> already and I'm going yeah that's really good Eloise. My facial expression saying one thing while my words are saying something else. That's why words only get a 2 out of 10 when it comes to what we communicate. So our expression, and not just our facial expression, of course, but our body language as well. Our appearance. So if we turn up at a formal function wearing 
stubbies, t-shirt and thongs. That says something about us. And maybe you're okay with that. But I think we need to ban that in any context. Any context. That should not be allowed. Who's with me? All the women. All right. So (laughs) the tone of our voice. So when we're saying, children, come to dinner or... Just get ready. If you're, if you're at all traumatised, just brace yourself. Get in and have dinner! Says Kim. And... <laughs> Tone says a lot, doesn't it? And also, our actions say a lot. And I'm reminded of the story of the woman whose husband died and she had uh, a house to maintain and children, a, a couple of young children as well. And, and, and people at the funeral came up to her and said, if there's anything we can do, if there's just anything we can do. And there's one older guy who, who didn't say that. He just, in fact, he didn't come up and say anything. He, he, was, he was at the funeral. He, he visited in the hospital as her husband was dying. And, and he, he just kind of been there in the background. And, and all these people came up and said, if there's anything we do, just let us know. And, and the next morning, she heard clang, clang, bang, clang, clang. And thought, oh, must be the birds or something. Then she heard bang, clang, 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 scrape, scrape, bang, clang, clang, clang. And she looked out her window and there was this guy with a ladder up against her gutter cleaning out her gutters. And before she could get dressed and decent, he packed his ladder up and he'd gone. The next day, she, she woke and there was, he was mowing her lawn. And, and it, so his actions, you see that? The actions in Africa... Mourning for someone, grieving for someone, often means that the, the whole village will come and sit out, just sit for eight hours a day, seven days a week at your front door. They'll just sit in silence. And you can see what they're saying. Their actions are telling you something, their actions are conveying something. So actions communicate. So this is really important. If you're having communication problems with people, Recognize that it's not just the words we use, it's, it's these aspects. So what we say with our mouth, it, it is important. As much as words get a 2 out of 10 for effectiveness in communication, they actually can be really important, and I hope to show you that in a moment. James chapter 3, uh, I've got verse 2 on the screen. I'll read the next few verses, so you might want to have a look. If you've got a Bible, uh, James chapter 3, it says this, For we all stumble in many ways... And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Who's not ever said something, written something, emailed something and gone, oh, what did I say that for? (laughs) Okay, just me. All righty. James 3.3, the next verse says this. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. James 3.6 And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set, by, set on fire by hell, uh, says in 
in verse 2. So the tongue is really, really important, how we use it, how we use it to communicate. James goes on to say in verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt Water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond, speaking of our mouth, yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you, verse 13, by his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, verse 14, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast, there's the mouth, and be false to the truth. There's the mouth again. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So James says what we communicate is vitally important as it comes out of our mouth. But he also says it also comes out of your heart. You communicate bitterness, jealousy, envy. And that's not the place of someone who's living a balanced life. Our communication, we know this because we've all been on the wrong end of this. Our communication can hurt, it can harm, it can wound, destroy and even kill. And and I think the distinction between hurt and harm being like the two sides of a knife. A knife can harm, but that same knife in the hand of a surgeon can hurt but heal. So our words can do this. Our words can wound, destroy, and even kill. Our communication can also refresh, heal, gladden, strengthen, enlighten, free, liberate, and help. Proverbs 12 verse 18 sums it up, and it says it, says it like this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. So there's there's words can hurt like sword thrusts. There's harm. But the tongue of the wise might hurt, but it will bring healing. So the mouth. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away what? Wrath. But a harsh word stirs up what? Anger. Words can quiet things down. Words can flare things up. Words can be a bucket of water on a fire. Or words can be petrol on that fire. How we communicate with people. Proverbs 15.23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. When our communication is untruthful, when it is unhelpful, when it is self-centred, when it is unwise, when it is harmful, wasteful, and I'm going to swap that word in a minute, it is vain. That word wasteful, I'm going to dial that down. Pointless. Pointless. So when our talking is pointless and all of those other things, it is what the Bible calls Vain, pointless, destructive, empty, untruthful. At the heart of vain communication 
is this, self-promotion, which causes injury to others. That's, what's, that's what it means to be vain. Now, here's what I want to tell you about the person who lives a balanced life. They are someone who has had the gospel, the word of God, affect them, season them, change them, transform them. If you can get this from your hands into your heart, it affects your mouth. It affects the way you speak. And this is what it does. It causes your communication to go from being vain to being communication that brings honour and respect. Honour and respect. You might want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And I've taken a, a, a screenshot of um, Ephesians 4. This is what it says. Now this I say to you and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds or the vanity of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of, their hardness of heart. They have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. So the balanced life is a life where the potter's hands teach us, shape us, change us. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away, notice the mouth, having put away falsehood, let each of you, each one of you, speak the truth. There it is again, the mouth, with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him rather labour, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And he goes on in verse 29 and he says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to all those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So when you know Christ, when you're following Christ, one of the sure indications that you're growing in Christ is that your mouth changes. How you use your mouth, how you communicate, at least with your words. But then from your heart, it becomes obvious. It's why Christians shouldn't swear. It's why Christians shouldn't use four-letter words. I'm mindful of the lady who just got married, the young lady got married and rang her mum and said, oh, mum, mum, it's horrible. And the mum said, what's the matter? Oh, he's changed. He's using four-letter words now that we're married. Oh, dear, I had no idea. Oh, he's changed. He's a monster. He's horrible. This is horrible. What four-letter words are you using? Cook, clean, iron. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, verse chapter 5, verse 1, as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up. They're not the four-letter words I'm talking about either, by the way. I was talking about nasty four-letter words, just, just to clarify that up. That was just me being funny. Just realise I may have created a communication problem here. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul goes on in this chapter and, and he, again he, he says this in verse 4. Let there be no foolishness, oh, sorry, no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Why are they out of place? They're out of place for the follower of Christ. We, we don't make sexual innuendo jokes. We don't participate in those things. We don't use four-letter expletives or expletives. We don't do that because it comes out of our hearts and, and those things shouldn't be in our hearts as followers of Christ. So people begin to notice you ever been around someone who's found out you're a Christian and they, then they've realised, oh, gee, actually, they don't swear. And, you go, and, and they, they swear and they go, oh, I'm sorry. May that forever continue because I think that says they've, they've heard your witness. All right. This is how Paul sums up what it means to not be vain with our speech. You know, the, uh, the third command of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And treat the name of God as if it's pointless, it's meaningless, it means nothing. Because names in the Bible, as we'll teach the kids in a few weeks, names not just identify, they don't just help with ownership. Names in the Bible often were a statement of someone's character. That's why so many Bible characters had their names changed. For example, Peter, before he was Peter, was called Simon. Simon means, no offence to any Simons here, but Simon means easily bends, easily just like a reed. In fact, that's what it means, a reed, just bends. The name Peter means rock, rock, not easy to move. So in that light, this is where I want to close. And whatever you do in word or deed, that's how we communicate, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you say, whatever you do, should give honour and glory and respect to Jesus. And church, if we can do that, we are going to enjoy the benefits of being balanced in the middle of the wheel with the potter's hands on us, which is a life filled with peace, able to enjoy happiness, able to enjoy the comfort of God despite circumstances. And isn't that good news? Father, I pray that we might come to know and enjoy you and that, Father, out of that knowing and enjoying of you, we will choose to allow you to transform our mouth. 
Father, for those whose mouth has been untamed, unguarded, for those whose mouths have been used to do anything but bring respect and glory and honour to you, perhaps, Father, there are those of us here and we've been vain without realising. Father, today I pray that by the power, the enabling grace and power of the Holy Spirit, we would leave this place going, boy, I want to honour Christ. And I want to honour Christ with my mouth. And to this, from this day, I pray, oh God, that you would help me to do that. And perhaps you're here right now and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never given your life to Christ. I've got good news for you. He loves you. He wants you. He accepts you. He's died your death, your penalty. He died for you. He took your place. And now he offers you God's forgiveness, God's life, God's second chance. He wants you to come to him now. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I want to come to you. Please forgive me. Come into my life. So is your communication self-centered, pointless and vain? Or are you refreshing, strengthening and helping those around you by how you communicate? A balanced life is not a vain one. More from Dr. Corbett next week in the series Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters, including tonight's program, Part 7 of the series Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.